This is so fun. This is like, for some of you who haven't been around for a while, you don't recognize some of the visitors, but this is like homecoming, you know, when you're at your whatever high school, because we have people that were here when they were students, and now they've gone on down the road, they're doing ministry and loving the Lord in different parts of the, it's really great the way a church should work. Some people stick around, some people go down the road, but when they come back, it should feel like a reunion, like, so just really proud of the young people in this church when they move on down the road and they love the Lord and they're living all out for the Lord. So we have some folks here that some of us recognize, but really exciting. Man, I, I'm thinking again, I, I quote this one a lot, but uh, I'm really bad with numbers, but it's Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I love you guys, man. I love being here. I like seeing your faces. I enjoy your friendship, your fellowship. I just really like this place, and I like you guys, and it's just a real blessing. And I uh, also happen to love Jesus, too, and uh, so do you guys, and he's here. So this is great. So, Father, again, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Help me not to get in your way. Open up our hearts. Thank you for the new faces in here. Pray that this would be a blessing for them. We pray for our church family members who are scattered all over today for different reasons. Um, bless them where they're at. Let them fellowship with you deeply and with your people in different parts of the country or the state or wherever they are. Uh, we welcome your presence and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we've been looking at how Jesus thought about things, how Jesus looked at things. And I've been prefacing my sermons lately with, if you went out to Starbucks with Jesus, I mean, the most important human being who ever walked the planet, bar none. I mean, he split our conception of history in half and where everything is either before him or after him. Um, most influential person who ever lived without a close second. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get off raining in tad but even even other religions like islam they're just like spin-offs and corruptions sorry folks if you're in islam but it wouldn't exist apart from the fact that jesus existed um but if you're not to starbucks with him and i could say a little more about jesus there's nothing that will change your life there's just nothing that will change your life like figuring out who he is and connecting to him and the things that he said about himself were absolutely outrageous. Sorry, I got a cough. <clears throat> the things that he said about himself, unless it, you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. I mean, that's, I mean, there's been some great people around, but I mean, you never heard Martin Luther King Jr. say stuff like that, or even Martin Luther, um, who started the Reformation, or even the greatest theologians, or the greatest political leaders, you know. Napoleon never said, unless you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. You know, no president, George Washington didn't say, unless you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. He said these outrageous things. He let people worship him. Um, and he could fix any problem, any problem that came along. He, he could raise the dead. You know, we're, we're, we're helpless today because of psychological issues. He would just boom, 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 solve people with a word, fix people with a word, heal people with a word. Everywhere he went. It was riots and, you know, just crowds of thousands of people clamoring after him. So he had opinions about things. And I happen to think he was the most enlightened 
his perspective would be the most enlightened perspective that has ever hit planet Earth. So if you went out to Starbucks with him and you talked about money, are you and Jesus agreeing about money? You talked about where your problems come from, what your priorities should be. What is, uh, what is dating and marriage and sex? What's that all about? Would you and Jesus just bam, 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 all the way down the line agree? And ultimately, what the Bible says about Jesus, and this is why he can change our lives like nobody else, he was God incarnate. He was the creator God who put on skin and walked among us um, so he could solve our sin problem and make a way for us to have relationship with him. So for those of us who tap into that, we're born again. Again, I think the latest person in the church to be born again, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. All roads don't lead to the top of the mountains. I don't care what your philosophy or religious studies professor says. They disagree with Jesus. He said, look, I'm God with skin on. My perspective is the one that matters. And if you try to align with his perspective, you get more and more and more free. So we've just been going through scripture and we've been looking at what does Jesus think about money and what does Jesus think about psychological issues and what does Jesus think about this and what does Jesus think about that and it hit me the other day what did Jesus think about God the Father for those of us who are here um this church exists for like just to train people to go deeper into I mean the Christian faith to push harder. We're not just, we don't just show up on Sunday. This just, this is something we do because of all the other stuff we do. We're a Christian community. We do a lot more, but we have like a two-year program or training people. On Saturday, we had a friend of ours come from Kansas City and he did a seminar for us on the Trinity, Orthodox Christian belief, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or any, you know, even quasi-Orthodox offshoot of any sort of, you know, Mennonite or Quaker or Methodist or whatever, or Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you believe God is a trinity, which is, it's a mystery, but there's one what, one thing called God. It's a what. And then within this what, there's three distinct and separate persons. I don't understand it. Yeah, well, you don't understand quantum physics and you don't know how an airplane works and you don't know what the brain surgeon does when he opens up the top of your skull, but you still think these things are true and right and they work. So God's told us some things about himself. I'm a trinity. Three distinct and separate persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's not one person who puts on three masks. Hey, I'll be the Father today. I'll be the Son, Father, Spirit, Son. That's called modalism. No, it's a, it's a loving relationship from eternity past between three distinct and separate people. So he did a whole seminar on this. So as Christians... If we're thinking right, no matter what strain of Christianity we come from, we're Trinitarian. The Apostles' Creed is set up. A lot of you grew up in very, very traditional churches. You never paid attention. You still said the Apostles' Creed. It's set up in a Trinitarian way. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord. And then a little later, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian. So, but most of us, what we're obsessed with is the the member of the trinity called the father and we're kind of like yeah, yeah jesus was a nice guy and the spirit's kind of ambiguous and misty and fuzzy and whatever the father that's the one that we really have to deal with uh for some reason when we think about god we don't think about a lot of times we just jump over jesus yeah, yeah he got us to the father sure the holy spirit does some stuff behind the scenes but he's not really the one we're concerned about it's the father um 
And I just want to share with a lot of you guys, a lot of your neuroses, crazy, psychotic, legalistic, depression-inducing, anxious, all this kind of stuff comes from your twisted vision of who the Father is. So Jesus came for several reasons. One of us, one of the reasons was to show us, to tell us and show us who the Father is. So it just hit me the other day. We know Jesus is God because he said he was God, but we tend to just brush him aside and think that, well, he's the nice member of the Trinity. And the Father's kind of the cranky, kind of a jerk. Like, you can't say that. Well, I mean, the earth didn't swallow me up. I think God wants us to defend him. He said, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, hallowed be my name. He says, defend me, guys. Tell people who I really am. A name is your character. He says, you need to, to lift up who I really am to people. So that's what I want to do this morning. What did Jesus teach about his father? So if you went out to Starbucks with Jesus, would you and he agree down the line about who the father is? So in theology, because we're trying to get educated and learn more about stuff, in theology, guys that devote their lives to God talk, they're called theologians. This category is called theology proper, discussion about God the Father, theology proper. Matt mentioned Christology. That's a discussion about Jesus. Discussion about the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. Yes, extra points on your final. There's no final. But um, yeah, what, what did he say about that? What did Jesus teach us about the Father? So let's jump into that. And like I said, one of the themes, one of the themes in the New Testament is that Jesus himself is God, which took a lot of people a lot of time to figure out. But there's all these subtle cues all the way through the Gospels that let us know that Jesus is God. Um, somebody who has a different opinion is disagreeing with Jesus himself about who he was. And like C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus was a crazy deceiver who was deceiving others, or he was a madman who was deceived himself, or he was exactly who he said he was. And one of the things he said is, uh, I'm going to let these guys kill me, and then I'm going to come out of the ground on the third day and uh, watch, watch, watch how this works. And the guy's like, "What did you just say? I don't know. I'm not really clear on what he meant by that." And then they he let them kill him. They put him in the ground, and then empty tomb. Then he appears to his disciples, uh, and he says, "You guys get it now? I'm God with skin on." I died for your sins. I became a man. I died for your sins, so you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sins. Then I rose from the dead, and that proved that everything I said was true. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head back to where I started. I'm going back with my father. Um, now, here's the baton. Now, you guys take this message and go tear up the planet. And they did. They, they, if your best friend said, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise from the dead, uh, because I got a really special message, and then they pulled it off. They said, now do you believe me? It lit them up, and 11 out of 12 of them paid for it with their blood. They knew it. They believed it. And, you know, millions of people since have paid for it with their blood. But anyway, so one of the themes is Jesus is God. Let me run through this real quickly. And I'm just looking at Matthew because I wanted to do this. I started going this morning, and hours into it, I've been thinking about this for weeks, but hours into it, I'm like, man, I'm only a couple verses into Matthew because this is such a massive theme. Who does Jesus teach us the Father is? But first of all, this theme that Jesus is God, it's when Mary is called to be the mother of Jesus, one of the names the angel tells her is, 
he will they will call his name Emmanuel, which if you know Hebrew uh, or Aramaic, it is with us God. He's the with us God. So there's your first clue. What's his name? Uh, the with us God. Um, so that's one of the subtle hints in the New Testament that we're talking about Jesus being God. And then he calls these foreigners and he uses their weird, I don't know, I don't know how to describe this, explain this. Certainly don't want to try to pattern anything after this, but he allows some people, even in their kind of Eastern hocus pocus astrology, to figure out something crazy is going on in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. And uh, so he, he uh, these wise men, some people think they were Kurds, actually. But these people that, um, because of their astrology, they figured out something's going on up there that's telling us something crazy is happening. In Beth- so they go, and it says they worship him. So it's the very first chapters. He's the with us God, and these people, even from the outside, worship him. That's a sub-theme all throughout the Gospels. God's not just interested in Jews. He's interested in drawing everybody. So here we have these foreigners that God is saying, hey, come on, come on. I'm, draw- I'm going to draw you guys to the king. Um, and then at his baptism, God says, this is my beloved son uh, in whom I am well pleased. So the Trinity, we've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself is miraculously confirming his uniqueness. Now, in a sense, we're all sons and daughters of God because we're created. Um, and then when you're born again, in a more unique sense, you're a son and daughter of God because you're adopted into his family. But Jesus is a son of God because he has the exact same nature. He has existed from all eternity. In his high priestly prayer, he said uh, uh, that he, he wants to go back to God because he talks about the glory that they shared together before the world was. And then the beginning of God, in the beginning of John, it says that he created everything. So, yeah, John's not real subtle about this whole Jesus is God thing. Matthew's a little more subtle. Now, this is one I was thinking about this morning. And this... The cool thing about the Bible is I've studied it for 30 years and I've studied Greek and I've studied Hebrew and I've memorized thousands and thousands of verses. And I've, you know, I don't know how many times I've taught and preached, whatever. And you can study the Bible and it will hit you fresh. Like, not like you've never seen it before, but like you you have this diamond and you turn it a certain way and you're like, wow, I've never looked at this diamond like that before. This thing is amazing. So his temptation with the devil God just told him, you're my unique son. He's kicking off his ministry. And the devil's trying to shake him from this belief. Which I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail. He really limited himself to like the same weaknesses and needs that we have as humans. He said, Philippians 2 said, he set aside all his prerogatives and rights and powers and everything, his deity, so that he could become a man. But the devil's trying to shake him from this belief that he is really God with skin on right after God tells him that he's his son. And you guys know the story. Some of you don't. You have to read about it in Luke 4 or Matthew 4. The very end of it, the devil does to Jesus what he does to all of us. And it's a little bit what Matt was talking about. How about you do things my way, Jesus, and I will give you the world? How about you not do things the way the Father wants them done? And this is the last temptation. And Jesus basically says, get out of here. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this hit me in a new way this morning. As in, 
At what point does Jesus Christ understand exactly who he is? I'm not saying it's right here, but I think that Jesus probably saw the implications of who he was, what who he who he bees, who he was. I don't know what the grammar is there. Anyway, at that point, and I th- he's not just saying you you should worship the Father. Jesus is going, wait a minute. I am the unique, eternal. Do you know who you're talking to, devil? You want me to worship you? Are you kidding me? You, you need to be bowing down before me, buddy. And the devil, and I think at this point, I think what happened was the implications of who he was and what he was supposed to be doing, because it's right at this moment he goes out and he starts preaching and the demons are flying and the people are getting healed and the masses are, it's right at this moment, I think, where he realized, look, I created this place. Everybody should be worshiping me. I am here to take over this planet from the devil. Who, Anyway, I think this is an amazing moment. But I don't think Jesus, Jesus isn't just applying this to the Father. He, you worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he said, look, I'm the Son. You should be worshiping me. Well, this is a sub-theme. And uh, I think a lot of us are like, yeah, 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 fine. Jesus is God, and he's a nice guy. But we got to deal with his dad. I mean, he's the crank. He's the judge. Even the way we heard the gospel, God's really angry at you. You're bad. You're a sinner. And uh, the father's back there, you know, like with a baseball bat, you know, or lightning bolts. And Jesus is like, stop, dad. Father, I'll die for them. Good thing Jesus is in the Trinity or we'd all be sunk. So I think that's a perversion. It's a distortion. So if you went out to Starbucks with Jesus himself and you didn't even know he was God at that point, what would he tell you he thought about the Father. So, now, Jesus' theology proper. What's his theology proper? He has the same Old Testament we do. A lot of people say God in the Old Testament is this warmongering crank who's, I'll give you a little quote here. I'll just jump ahead. Anybody know who this guy is? Well, now you do because his name's right there. Um, And he looks angry because he is angry. The God of the Old Testament He's arguably the most unpleasant character in fiction. He had to stick that to you because he wanted you to think that he thinks the Old Testament's fiction. Jealous, proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving, troll freak, vindictive, bloodthirsty, ex-ethnic cleanser, a misogynist or woman hater, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, blah, 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 blah. And that's how a lot of people see God. And there's actually stuff in the Old Testament that read in an imbalanced way might lead you to conclude that. How many of you guys ever thought something along those lines? Maybe not that. You wouldn't have said it that way. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, a bunch. And some of you think that, and you're not willing to admit it because you think it's naughty. God kills babies. God let my mom die of cancer. God delights in damning people. God likes judging people. Is this what Jesus taught? So let's jump back here to what's his theology proper? He has the same Old Testament. And he knows it way better than you do. And some things, we just sometimes miss the most obvious thoughts. He knows it way better than you do. And he argues from the Old Testament about who he thinks the Father is. So, and again, we're talking about the Father. We're just talking about the invisible creator and judge of all. There's some different conceptions out there. Let's see, we've got an unfeeling power. Some of some people, even in this room, you're struggling with being angry at God because he could have, but he didn't. 
when I was a child, I don't want to look at anybody, but this is so common. I was abused. I was sexually abused. I was neglected. I was rejected. He had all the power. He could have broken, but he didn't. So he's an, he has all the power. He just doesn't have much of a heart. And that's how a lot of people think of him. Or he's a meticulous controller. He just, he scripted everything out in the universe. And this is especially some of you smart, born-again people. This is a view that you gravitate towards. And then you may end up in an institution or are struggling with manic depression. I'm serious. This meticulous controller vision of God. Is that what Jesus would be talking to you about at Starbucks? Now that little five points thing, that's, if you know what it is, you know what it is. And if you don't, you don't. Um, but that's why people pray, oh God, if it be your will. That's why people say everything happens for a reason. Did Jesus ever talk like that? Never. And you say, what about in the garden? He said, not my will, but yours be done. Totally different. Words sound the same. Totally different use of those words. He wasn't saying whatever happens is going to happen. So why sweat? God's just doing it like he wants it done. Some of you think God's that. Would you and Jesus just be like, yeah, that's exactly how I see God the Father. And I'm messing with some of you guys. Be messed with. Because the devil's number one goal in your life is to twist up your vision of the Father. If he can twist up the vision of the Father, he's got you. What are some other views? Sloppy agape. The morally ambiguous liberal. God love is love, and God love you, he dove doves everybody, and he loves you just as you are, and all that. Is that what Jesus, Jesus went out with a prostitute and was like, yeah, I just love you just the way you are. Just go keep turning those tricks. You just, you know, yeah, you got five, the woman at the well. Yeah, you've had five hundreds of dudes, five husbands, the guy you're shacking up with isn't your husband. No problem. I just love you just as you are. Tax collector, you're cheating people. I love you just like you are. Just morally ambiguous. No. Anyway, is that what he'd be saying to you at Starbucks? What about an angry judge, a fighting Bundy conservative? You know, the fighting right right now. They're getting scary. I'm picking on everybody. Pick on the left. Yeah, stick it to the left. I'm going to stick it to the right because they're nuts right now. Is he this angry, you know, gun-toting, build the wall? Yeah, keep those Mexicans down there where they can be raped and brutalized because I got my stuff and they can't, you know, would you and Jesus be, Jesus be going, yeah. You... Seriously. I know I'm offending some of you guys. That's what the Word of God does. What does James say? Quick to hear? Slow to speak. Slow to anger. When God messes with you, you get angry because you think you're right. I just say, God, if I'm not right, keep messing. Keep messing with me. And then it goes on and James say, with humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So if God's messing with your vision of God, it's because he's trying to help you. What about a metaphysical mystery? Some of you guys are getting into theology. I've got a whole set of systematic theology texts written in the last 500 years, and I'm memorizing them. Actually, I go all the way back to Augustine, and I'm memorizing all. So I just really like to think about, you know, the infinite attributes of God. Is that how Jesus is talking about the Father? Is that what he'd be saying to you at Starbucks? Is that what he was preaching in the longest sermon we have recorded? He says quite a bit about the Father in the Sermon on the Mount. He say anything about the metaphysical attributes of God?
So now here's something that we need to be aware of. Jesus let us know pretty clearly that most everybody believes in God. Almost everybody on planet Earth believes in God. I used to believe the, the liberal college professors and authors who would say that, you know, it's not a universal phenomenon to believe in the conception of God. And then I actually traveled the world. And uh, like where Susan and I were engaged in formerly communist Russia, where they tried to pound the belief out of God for 70 years, would send you, take your children away, send you off to the gulag if you tried to teach them about Jesus and God. And after 70 years of trying to purge God out of the minds of the people, we went there and we found out everybody still believed in God pretty much. And when they heard you were going to come talk about God, they would, for like a little college kid, they'd fill a state, you know, an auditorium just, just to hear somebody talk about God. And then my favorite line was a public school teacher I became friends with who taught me how to ask Susan, marry me in Russian. Um, he, he really did. I asked her in Russian. Then she answered me in Russian. I went, what did you say? Because <laughs> instead of saying something simple and short, she said some, because she knows Russian. Um, anyway, back to Alexei. My favorite thing he said was, we all believe in God. We're just afraid to say so. It's in our hardwiring. Everybody believes in God. So the devil's try to make you an atheist. Now, there's a couple atheists. Here and there, there's an atheist. But virtually everybody has some conception of God. And they also say there's no atheists in foxholes. So when you're, you know, bullets whizzing past your head and grenades blowing up around you, you're like, suddenly my belief in God has been awakened, right? And you pray. It's just in our hardwiring. But the trick is, and how the devil's going to get most people, is by distorting and twisting their vision of God. And what Jesus says is it's a gift from God to see him rightly. We all think we're fine because we believe in God. Most people believe in God and they're going to hell because they believe in a creator and a judge and a God who has all the power, et cetera, et cetera. They have no clue who he really is. That's like saying you believe in Tad because you believe in human beings. I know what human beings are. They're like, C.S. Lewis calls us hairless bipeds. You know, they're kind of like an ape, but don't have as much hair. They're a lot smarter. Yeah, so I know Tad. No, you don't. You don't know anything about me just because you believe in the, the most basic idea of what a human being is. You know, not, you know almost nothing about God just because you believe in the concept of a judge and a creator, et cetera, et cetera. You're just a part of the human race. The trick is to know his heart. And so Jesus, first of all, says, not everybody has access to this. This is a gift. So if you believe in God and you're here and you think you're fine because you believe in God and you've never thought this through, there's a good chance you're buying some twisted up warped vision of who he is. Or, again, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. And one of the things he says is, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. So one of the conditions is always you have to come to God with a certain type of an attitude if you want this gift. And a, and a verse that changed my life is he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, you have hidden these things. What things? If you read the previous verses, who God is. You've hidden them from the wise and intelligent. Who is he talking about? The religious experts. The scribes, the Pharisees, people that had memorized the entire Bible, sat around studying it all day long. He said, you, you, that's what he's talking about. You've actually hidden who you are from those people, and you've revealed them to babies. Again, it's coming to God with a certain attitude that he talks about all through the Bible. Humble, simple, yielded. 
then and and pleading and then after this he says so come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest how i'll reveal who god really is because when you see who he really is everything gets sweet it does i'm i was high this morning i'm high several times a week on no illegal substance i'm serious i'm like tears i just i got i'm blessed Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the way you have abundant life is to get your vision of God straight. You want to dig in and say you're right just because you know you're right, even though you're on your third wife and you can't stay off the hooch and you're, you know, whatever. You're going to three therapists and whatever. Jesus said, hey, if you're weighted down, you're wrong. So are you willing to say, all right, maybe I'm wrong. Tear it down, build this up. So one of the things he says is people can't see even though they believe in the concept of God. That's just basic Jesus teaching. And then he also, all through the Bible, they like to quote Isaiah 6. He quotes Isaiah 6 in Matthew 13, which is where it kind of kicks off a lot of his teaching on parables. And he says, people, religious people, keep on hearing, but they won't understand. They'll keep seeing, but they won't perceive. The, the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they Seriously, here, um, they've closed their eyes. So um, basically, he's just talking about spiritual blindness. A lot of people quote this passage from Isaiah in the New Testament. And this is a, con this is a concept that goes back to the Old Testament, too. Are you seeing God rightly? Of course you think you are. No, I know I'm wrong, and I know mine's all twisted up and sick and perverted, and that's the source of my depression, anxiety, and my addictions and everything. I'm just going to keep running with this screwed-up view of God, this satanically sabotaged vision of God. No, everybody thinks they're right, but at some point you have to go, maybe I'm not. All right, God, if I'm wrong, show me. So I'm going to show you a, we are going to get to Jesus' view of God here in a second, but I'm just kind of leading up to that. Are you right or are you wrong? One indication is, Jesus said, a lightness and an easiness. It doesn't mean you're not born again, because you can accept the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, rose again on the third day, ask God to forgive you, but you still have a pretty twisted up vision of God. And actually, you can even have a pure vision of God, and the devil sabotage it later. That's what Paul talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. I fear that as the serpent, he's talking to Christians, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, you too should be led astray from the, from the simplicity and purity of Christ. So, especially you guys that go off to seminary. A lot of people get wrecked at seminary because we usually hand in some delightful vision of God. That's why I picked this picture. He's just a, a father who delights in his children, who protects them, provides for them, guides them, has huge dreams for them, would take a bullet for them in an instant. His heart's on fire with compassion. That's why, that's why I choose that picture. So, um, let's see, where are we? Oh, so here's a really strange Old Testament passage. It's always wowed me, and it goes along with that same idea. The wicked can't see him rightly, only the righteous can. And it's a gift. So the psalmist, the psalms are Israel's hymn book. So if you want to read the psalms, let your Bible fall open halfway. Um, 
He says, the Lord's dealt with me according to my righteousness. So he says, basically, I got between the lines, and this is what God did for me in response to me getting between the lines. You're between the lines? Are you born again? Are you saved? Have your sins been taken care of? Have you surrendered your life to God? Get between the lines, and then he does all kinds of stuff for you. Why? Just like a good father isn't going to reward a child who's behaving poorly. That's called enabling, and that only makes their problems worse. God's not going to reward you if you're being a knucklehead and you're hurting the people around you and you're stubborn and you're rebellious and you're stuck in your sin. But this person says, this is how God's dealt with me because I've gotten between the lines. That's what righteousness means. It literally means getting between the lines. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans. Those of you who went through that seminar, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes, which means none of us are perfect, but we can deal with everything we know, everything we're aware of, and at that point, if we're right with God, we've allowed him to forgive us, and we're really striving to surrender our lives to him. It says, with the kind, again, we're talking about wicked can't see God, righteous can see God. With the kind, and for those of you scholars in here who are starting to know a little bit of Hebrew, that's that word hasid, and that comes from the word hesed, which means for the people whose lives are characterized by kindness, God's kind of kindness, how does he look? You show yourself kind. What do they see? They're the only ones that are really seeing anything. Because blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. Are the wicked really seeing God? No, they can't. Do they believe in God? Of course they do. What kind of a God? A twisted up, messed up, tangled up vision of God. With a kind, a seed, you show yourself kind. Why? Because he really is kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And here's a doozy. With the crooked, you show yourself twisted. Is he twisted? No. Why do they see him as twisted? Why does he see God this way? Has he gotten between the lines? Has he made peace with God? According to Jesus' teachings and the teachings in the Old Testament, is it possible that he could possibly be seeing the Father rightly? Impossible. He doesn't have access. He can't. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. So, this is a really fascinating passage in the... Uh, in the uh, Old Testament. And then he says, you, sa you save an afflicted people, but arrogant eyes you reject. So people who are arrogant, they're not going to submit to God. They're not going to be seeing God rightly. And he says, you light my lamp, which is, a, which is talking about spiritual revelation. The Lord illumines my darkness. So the righteous get to see him properly. So now we're going out with Jesus and we're going to talk about he says all the words that would help us to get this proper vision. No matter what you came in here with. There's some people sitting in here with the meticulous controller. There's some people sitting in here with the angry judge. There's some people sitting in here with the sloppy agape, morally ambiguous, anything goes and God loves everybody, no matter what kind of crazy stuff they're into. Um, so now let's see what Jesus, what's his conception of the Father. So I've been meditating on this, you know, for on and off for weeks now. In the four Gospels, I hesitate to say this. Mark's not going to be a whole lot of help to you in terms of finding out what Jesus has to say about the Father. Because Mark's gospel is the turbo gospel, and it's the wham, then this happened, then this happened, this happened. And it's covering events, and it's doing it very quickly. And there's 16 chapters, and he's trying to get through Jesus' life really quick. And then it's almost as if Matthew said, man, it would be really helpful if you'd stick some of the teachings of Jesus in there. So he takes five pretty protracted 
uh, sermons and you know speeches of Christ that he plugs them into basically a lot of what Mark already said. And then Luke does the same thing. So we can do the same teaching with Luke, but guess what you'd come out with in Luke? Exactly the same vision of the Father that Matthew's trying to emphasize just with different material. You guys hanging with me? Okay. What does Jesus say? First thing we learn about God the Father in the teachings of Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost, I don't know, back in the day we used to have record players. And if you really wanted to get people's attention, like, you know, you take the needle and you scratch it across the record. There's something here that is, or like nails down a chalkboard. You're like, what? Is he a meticulous controller? Is he a angry judge? Is he this sloppy agape? First thing Jesus says uh, any with any length about who the Father is, is this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies? The first thing that's going to come out of Jesus' mouth, according to Matthew, when he goes in any protracted teaching section about the Father, is love your enemies? It makes me think right now, because I'm going to keep bashing people that I think are out of balance, of the religious right. Love your enemies. Why, Jesus? Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. He sends his, uh, He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what do you do? More, you know, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors, like or the, like the dirty dogs of society, don't they do the same? I mean, the mafioso, they love each other. You know, pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers, they love each other. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, what's the big deal there? What's supernatural about that? If you greet your brothers only, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So be perfect as your Heavenly Father. Perfect. The first thing he says is, one thing you need to know about God, he loves everybody. He loves his enemies. He loves the people who nailed his son to the cross. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, what did God the Son say? Father, forgive them. They're nuts. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Why? Because he loves them. What happened when he pronounced his judgment over Jerusalem? He weeps. And you can find this God in the Old Testament if you have eyes to see. And if you don't, you'll blow up on some other sections that are written so that the wicked will blow up. God did write the Bible in a way so that the wicked will blow up. And the righteous will discover that God is exactly like his son. God the Father is exactly like his son. This is the first thing he says, love your enemies. Can we find that in the Old Testament? Absolutely. My favorite story is the story of Jonah. For the Assyrians, Jonah runs because he knows God loves his enemies. That's why he runs. And God, you know, sends a storm. And Jonah would rather commit suicide than go to his enemies and preach God's love. So they, he, they throw him over the ship. You know, he tells them to. Kill me, guys. I'd rather do that than let God's grace flow to his enemies. And go read it. It's a beautiful story. It's one of the stories that rang my bell back when I used to have this twisted up vision of God after Bible college. Yeah, you can go to Bible college. And you can go to seminary and really get messed up in the head. <clears throat> so first thing he says, what else does he say? Same sermon. Don't be worried about your life. What you eat, what you drink, your body, what you're put on. Life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in the barn. 
your heavenly father knows that you know that you need or your heavenly father feeds them aren't you worth more than they and he basically goes on to talk about this tender gentle father that wants to take care of you and then he rebukes them and calls them you know men of little faith why can't you believe in this conception of a good kind generous gracious god who actually is exactly like me why do you think of God the Father as this cranky judge or this immutable person that you can't have any kind of exchange with? What else does he say? Ask. It'll be given to you. And some people are like, well, you can't because God is immutable and impassable and sovereign and has willed all things. So technically, Jesus is a little off base here, but I see what you're doing, Jesus. Jesus. You know, we, we treat Jesus like he's some simpleton or not as theologically advanced as us. And really what we've done is we've just shot completely off trajectory, thinking we're a lot smarter than we are. Ask, you receive, seek, you'll find, knock, and it'll be open to you. Everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be open. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will, uh, will he give him a snake? He won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to do good, gift, do good things for your children, how much more your Father in heaven do good to those who ask. And so once again, Father, kind, good, loving, cares for you, wants to interact with you, wants to bless you. Is this your vision of the Father? He looks exactly like Jesus. Everybody that comes to Jesus for help gets it. Well, that's not been my experience. So your experience trumps what Jesus said. Okay, I'll say this to you, theological brainiacs. People like to accuse the Pentecostals and the Charismatics for being experience-oriented and letting experience shape their theology. I think the conservatives are more guilty. The super-reformed, the super-intellectual, they're more guilty because they don't have an experience. And that's what's shaping their theology. So their experience is shaping their theology equally as much, if that makes sense to you. It will to some of you guys. So, uh, and then what's his conclusion after talking about this kind God that wants to answer your prayer? Always, this always struck me as strange. This is where the golden rule comes in. Therefore, in light of the fact that God is so kind and good and likes to do good things for other people and be generous and kind and provide just as tenderly as a good father, therefore, treat people the way you want them to treat you. Did you know that's where the good the the, the the golden rule was? It's after talking about the goodness of God. Therefore, be the same way. Why? Because that's the way God is. That's the way I am. That's the way my father is. And most of us have this big, big chasm between our conception of God the Father and God the Son. It's a satanic sabotage. So here's a here's a key passage in Matthew. And I go over this a lot, but I'm just like, again, you and Jesus are at Starbucks. Well, Jesus, let me tell you what I think about. This. I think Father's kind of mysterious and he just sovereignly wills everything. And we just have to take everything that comes down the pike. This is like, Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, what do we have to just take when it's, well, I've got a little brother and he's got some real crazy psychological stuff going on. Or I've got a friend and they've got some medical horrible stuff going on or I got a friend who's addicted, and I just assume that that's God's sovereign purpose. And Jesus is like, you're nuts. Forget about it. Where are they? Give me their phone number. I'm going to go to their house right now. I want to fix them. You and Jesus would have an argument at that point. I know a baby who's got cancer, and, you know, God is sovereign, and we're just going to, what are you talking about? 
God is sovereign. You think he likes dead babies? What are you sick in the head? He he was he would probably smack you. I mean, metaphorically. He never really smacked anybody. He did make a score to uh, chords one time and drive people out of the temple because they were twisting up who God was. So you think God likes dead babies? You think God likes people going to hell? You think God's like likes bringing the hammer down on his enemies? No, God's exactly like me. I'm exactly like God. So we would have this strong, what does he, I, I don't know why I've never had this thought before in my life. What did Jesus teach about the Father? Stop arguing with him. Realize you're wrong, he's right. And if your view of God is metaphysical and super fancy or you're following some theologian that everybody around you says is the big cheese or the big church or whatever, it doesn't matter. If it's not what Jesus is saying, then that's somebody who's misleading a bunch of people. Because Jesus said he was seeing me as seeing the Father. So this is a key passage where he's talking to some more religious hoity-toity people that run all the religious stuff and everybody looks good for all the religious answers and they memorize the whole Bible. John 5 says, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. He says, they're bear witness of me. He says, you study the Bible, you've memorized the Bible. I'm the main character in the Bible and you don't even recognize me. What's the matter with you guys? That's what he basically says to the religious leaders. Jesus is like, I'm the main character in the Old Testament. And you don't recognize my kindness, my goodness, my patience. My... It's because you're blind. So here, same kind of people. It happened as Jesus was hanging out at the table in the house with a bunch of sinners. He says many tax collectors and sinners came, prostitutes, whatever, and you know, eating with Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because he said, God loves you. Stop living this way. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the people around you. God wants to forgive you, restore you, give you a new heart. Um, he wants you to find out what living is all about. He wants you to bear my image. He wants you to be compassionate and kind and have joy and peace in life. So the sinners flock to him. And it's the religious people. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why is your teacher eating with the scum? You know, why do you let homeless people into your church? Why do you let drug addicts into your church? Why do you let homosexuals into your church? All this stuff. Then Jesus is like, oh, man. He said, go. He, he said, uh, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this. He said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician. That's just being ironic. Those who are sick. These people are sick. They need, it. they need a remedy. I'm giving it to them. And then he tells religious people, go learn what this means. I desire kindness. I don't have time to go into that whole study. It's, again, that word hesed from where that where that word hesed in Psalm 8, uh, 18 comes from. Go figure out what this word means because this is a central attribute of God. Go figure out what this word means. You crazy religious people who think God doesn't want prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners um, coming into the kingdom so he can heal them and doesn't think God wants to answer your prayers and doesn't don't think God looks exactly like me, acts exactly like me, the Father. He said, I want... Kindness, not sacrifice. Sac he just meant religious ditties. People, some people are really into religious ritual, which is like this church. Do you think God cares what kind of building we meet in? Some people come to this church like, this isn't church. Really? You find, you find me in the Bible where the New Testament church building is. Where's the New Testament church building? With the steeple and the oak pews and the baptismal font. Where is that in the Bible? It's not in there. God does not care what kind of a building. Jesus said, there's coming a day 
when neither, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, neither where you worship, nor in Jerusalem, where people really were supposed to worship, are people going to worship God? Because God doesn't care about buildings. He cares about our hearts. And he basically says, you guys are going to be the building. You guys are going to be the temple. That, that was all metaphor. Those were all symbolic things in the Old Testament that God was using to help us understand spiritual truths. So anyway, says, go learn the central attribute of God, which is kindness. And then the end of this chapter, again, Jesus is teaching us about the Father, and Jesus is living out the message that he's teaching us about the Father. And uh, at the end of this chapter, you have this beautiful verse about him looking at the multitudes. You guys shed any tears lately for broken people. Someone in our church was, you know, works with broken kids and on Tuesday night went up to talk about this broken kid that just Exodus 34, 6, when God reveals himself to Moses and gives us the central theological description that he wants the righteous to carry out through all time and eternity and that Jesus then fleshes out before our eyes, which is who is God to the righteous? Is he misogynistic, angry, war God? No, that's what the blind see. The people whose eyes have been opened, Yahweh passed in front of Moses and said, Yahweh, Yahweh, that just means he is. That's the Hebrew word for it. He's a God who is compassionate, starts on fire for you. He's gracious. This is who Jesus is teaching us that God is all through the scriptures. That's what Jesus is showing us. God is all through the scriptures. Slow to anger. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want to break your leg because you screwed up or whatever. Are you Again, I, you can pull out these random examples and then people are like, you knew that he was coming, that I was coming to church and you called the pastor. No, I know that the human race does the same stupid stuff. Over and over. He knew that you had sex with this person that you shouldn't have, and you had this kid, and you didn't take care of him, and now they hate you, and you're on drugs, and you screwed up your relationship with your mom and dad, and you failed out of school. And, and so then you think he's up there in heaven just like brooding. Oh, man, I'm so sick of you. Just so tired of your shenanigans. I just can't wait to throw you into hell when it's all over. That's not who he is. Slow to anger. That's what he said. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding, great, overflowing with kindness. Just like I like to heal. God likes to heal. I like to forgive. Whatever kindness is, whatever goodness is, that's what he told the Pharisees to go learn about. That's the word you guys aren't clear on. You don't realize that the center of everything that God is is kindness and love. Think of the kindest person you've ever known, your grandma. Right? My grandma used to beat me and throw me up against the wall. Well, think of somebody else then. Who's the kindest person you can think of? My best friend in college. They were so kind. I don't know why they were so kind. I don't know why this school teacher took an interest in me when my father and mother abandoned me. They just always had a kind word. Even when I was bad in class, they were kind. multiply that by 100,000, and that's God. He, he likes to heal. He likes to provide. He likes to provide, guide, protect, doesn't like to punish, has huge dreams, for all of us, that he just wants us to surrender to him, get to know him, and walk with him. So, my favorite thing to talk about. I just had never thought about, what does Jesus teach about the Father? I just looked at Matthew. Another thing he did was he, he, he caused people to make this mental switch. Start calling him Father. And the religious leaders were like, you, can't, you need to call him Sovereign. You need to call him Judge. You need to call him Righteous. You, need to call, you can't call him dad you can call him Abba. now some of you guys have had bad fathers 
And so then you have to correct your vision of what a father is. But <clears throat> some people in here had really good fathers. And what he's talking about is the ideal father. Whatever your father wasn't that makes him bad, think of the opposite. God says, I'm that. I protect, I provide, I guide. I call forth your destiny. I help you get there. And this is what he's always been saying. This is the second book of the Bible where he gives this revelation to Moses. And all I'm saying is that if we go out to Starbucks with Jesus, this is what he's going to be saying. And he's going to say, throw those systematic theology textbooks in the garbage, my friend, until you get straight on this. Stop obsessing over the five points of Calvinism. Stop listening to that crazy liberal preacher in that massive church. And you know who I'm talking about, who no matter what he says, makes everybody sitting there think he's on their team. He's a snake. Go sit down with Jesus, find out what he says, and what you're going to find out is he's going to say what God told Moses and every one of God's kids have known throughout all history. Is this your God? So mind of Christ, and if it's not, then you need to press in. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Say, God, I got problems. It's manifesting in my life. Please heal me. Heal my vision of who you are. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen for a week. It may not happen for a month. But you know what? Well, my, mine actually took a few years because I had so much theological junk. Some people get it right away and they're like, that's not fair. Well, you don't worry about them. You worry about yourself. But God wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. So this would be a good place to end. So um, I think this... I know that this kind of talk, it just touches us in the deepest part of who we are. It just does. I've been in prison where guys, like these big muscled up, tattooed up, everything, you know, grips and bloods and white supremacists, whatever, Mexican mafia, all this stuff, just turn into a heap because this is what we're yearning for. We're yearning for a God who really is love, who really is good, who really wants us. That's your deepest longing. So I know you can't talk about this stuff without it touching people's hearts. So, uh, anybody who wants some more of this, anybody want more of this? Uh, well, um, so it's always fun to respond. Now, don't just stand up. I'm not going to look. I'm going to keep my eyes closed. If anybody wants more, just stand up. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer over you. You want more of this revelation of who God is? Stand up. I'm going to say a prayer over you. I'm not going to look. So I'm not looking. Nobody else is looking. So, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and you are good. You revealed yourself in Jesus, and the devil has warred against us to keep us from, with simple childlike faith, laying hold of your kindness and your goodness and how much you're for us. So, Lord, we just welcome you as a group. There were two or three gathered in my name. Whatever you agree on touching the earth, you said you'll do it. We're agreeing, Lord. We're more than two or three. We're agreeing. We want more revelation of who you are. We want to know who you are so we can be like you. You created us to be like you. We want to be compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in kindness. And we can't be unless we see you. So give us more revelation, more revelation of who, we, who you are. We believe, help our unbelief. Thank you, Lord, that this is what scripture teaches. This is what the, just the, the massive, most evidence in, in scripture leans towards. And this is what we need. This is what we want. So we open up our hearts to you. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for revelation. We love you. We ask all this 
in the awesome name of Jesus who made it all possible. Amen.